So Matthew 5, 21 through 30, the spirit of the law, it's all about your heart, all about your heart. As you know, we've been in, in the section called the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7. We had our introduction, Jesus talking about the Beatitudes, the attitudes that believers are to have as kingdom of God dwellers in an evil world. And there were eight Beatitudes that we had. And then we also talked about being salt and light. And that salt is fertilizer and has to be in contact with the soil. And it has to be at the right amount, at the right season, at the, at the right time. Everything has to be perfect for that. But always scattering a little bit of salt. And also we're the light of the world and we're to let our light shine. And we had that picture of the city on a hill and a bright light shining. And we are to not snuff out our light. And then we talked last time about the law and how Jesus came to fulfill the law and what that means. He, had, he came to fulfill the law perfectly, and he will actually describe now going forward as we get into the body of his sermon, the actual deeper meaning to the law. It goes much deeper than what the Pharisees thought. It goes into the heart, into the soul, into the being of a human being. So if you would, stand as we read chapter 5, verse 21 through 30. The spirit of the law, it's all about your heart. You have heard that it said, it said in days of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and then remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. This is the word of God. Very good. Let's pray before you sit. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to study your word. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to the truth of it. Each one of us is here to hear from you today, God. Speak to our hearts things that you want us to know and what you want us to apply to our lives. We ask you in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As you know, the theme of Matthew is Jesus is the promised king. The king, folks, is coming. The king, folks, is coming. It's not always going to be like it is today. Chaos. We talked last time about the law of Moses and how Jesus came and actually changed it to the law of Christ. It went from thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Eight times in the law of Moses, you shall not kill, adultery, steal, covet, that sort of thing. Eight times, eight times. And Jesus summed up the Ten Commandments in Matthew 22, with you shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So he came with the law of Christ of thou shalt love, and that of, instead of thou shalt not. It is the law of Christ. It's the law of the Spirit we see in Romans chapter 8. Very different. than It's similar to the law of Moses, but with a little different application. We also know that the Pharisees were the gatekeepers of the law. And I mentioned how the Pharisees were into power and control and indoctrination. 
And they enforced the 613 laws and added to that the oral law. Can you imagine the burden on the people? Again, civil, ceremonial, agricultural, dietary, moral laws, and adding on to that all the things that the Pharisees wanted to add on. And remember the, the posture of a Pharisee. The posture of a legalist is always somebody that just is so... Ugh. And we have a picture of him here, of a Pharisee. Remember, he was pointing with his finger, and they always look so stern and so angry. And there's no, where's the peace of God that passes all understanding in this poor guy? He doesn't have it. That's what legalism does. And then we talked about how our country, not just our country, but our world, is more and more into power and control and to indoctrination and manipulation. And world governments now are all colluding together to go towards a one-world government. And poor America with Uncle Sam, we see Uncle Sam kind of looking like a Pharisee. You know, he's, he's hurting. He's hurting. And in the next picture, Uncle Sam, I think, is sick. Uncle Sam is hurting in our country. And this is what we are to do with Uncle Sam, folks. I, please, pray for your country. Pray for your president. Pray for your congressmen and congresswomen. Pray for your senators. Pray for the people of this nation to turn from their sins and live. And pray for pastors to preach the word, not pander to the people, to preach the word. Jesus came with an emphasis on the law being very significant, so significant that not one jot or tittle would be taken from the law. Remember we had a little overhead last time of what a jot and a tittle was, a little, the smallest letter, and then, then a little thing that hangs on the end of a letter, like if you made a cursive A, that little tail would be a tittle. He didn't come to remove anything from the law, but he came to fulfill the law, and really in fulfilling it perfectly, he's the only one that did, he also is going to describe perfectly the meaning of the law, which was a much deeper meaning than what the Pharisees had. He starts out with, you have heard that it was said to those of old. The Pharisees taught and added to the law. The, the law of Moses had been ingrained in the people. It was a single specific way that they looked at the law. And then Jesus makes this amazing statement, but I say to you, he's changing things. He's changing things. This will not be popular. Pharisees are not going to like him for making these changes. But do you think Jesus cared a whit about what the Pharisees thought? Do you think he cared a whit about being popular? No way. He came to do the Father's will. And that is to do the Father's will, to not pander to the people, but to be obedient to our God. Paul expands on this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. And he says these words, which I think are applicable to us. But as we have been approved by God, approved dokimos, proven genuine, approved by God, entrusted with the gospel, each one of us have been given that, even so we speak, oh, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, nor did we seek the glory from men. Folks, our desire is to please our God. We... Jesus says, I've come to do your will, O God. I've come to do your will. We see in Psalm chapter, chapter 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is in my heart. That is the posture of every believer. 
I delight to do your will. I have come to do your will. I've been born again in the family of God, and now my desire is to do the will of the living God. And when I do the will of the living God, I'm proclaiming loyalty to Yahweh. I'm Jehovah, the true God. I am obedience to him demonstrates I am loyal to him. My disobedience is disloyalty. And think about this. Jesus told people the truth about the things of God. And it was, he was not popular. But the question for you is this. Don't you want to know what Jesus thinks? I want to know what Jesus thinks. I want to know what Jesus expects of me. This week, he's going to be talking about the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. He starts out with something very interesting. Guard your tongue. Verse 21 and 22. You have heard said that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you, he's changing things. Whoever is angry with his brother, or gizo is the word, simmering anger, without a cause will be in danger of judgment. Watch what he says. And whoever says to his brother, raka, this is verbal abuse, verbal abuse. This is, this is useless one. Raka shall be in danger of the council. That's either the Sanhedrin or the heavenly council. I think it's the heavenly council. But whoever says, you fool, Remember that word is moros, where we get our word moron. You stupid person, you shall be in danger of hell fire, of Gehenna. Watch what Jesus is doing here. Now think about it. The moral law, you don't murder, is, was straightforward. It speaks of intentional homicide. Don't kill another person. Don't kill another human. But there were provisions in the Old Testament for those who did unpremeditated murder, accidental murder, or self-defense murder, or killing, okay? And what God did is he made cities of refuge. So, so there was unpremeditated killings was different, self-defense was different, and there were six Levitical cities of refuge for unpremeditated murder. And now you'll see where these were. Now God is so good, he puts three on the east, he, he, on the west, puts three on the east, and these are places that people could run to if they accidentally killed someone. Now, the question that you have to ask yourselves, if they're unpremeditated, if they were accidental, why in the world is someone running to these cities of refuge? Well, now you're going to get the rest of the story, okay? So accidental killers were being protected from someone called the Avenger of Blood, the Kinsman Avenger. An avenger of blood was a person legally responsible for carrying out vengeance against another person that has killed someone in their family. It was the nearest male relative. The avenger of blood was, did not have license to kill someone that killed a person accidentally, and that person could flee to the city of refuge and be protected from the avenger of blood. The one who kills accidentally can have refuge from the avenger and he is set free when the high priest dies. Now, Jesus is our high priest. Set free when the high priest dies. I think there's a picture there. The high priest's death gives the manslayer, the accidental killer, new life. New life. 
The word avenge is the following. It means this, in Hebrew it, is, it means redeem, reclaim, or restore. The kinsman avenger is reclaiming or restoring what the victim has lost. Now think about humanity. Think about what happened at the beginning of time in the Garden of Eden. Think about Satan is humanity's murderer. He's humanity's murderer. He brought death and into God's perfect creation. Remember in Genesis chapter 3, he goes to Eve and he goes to Adam. He says, oh, you, you, you have one prohibition. Don't eat the knowledge of, tree of, of good and evil. And in the day that you do it, you will die. That's what God told them. And then Satan says, oh, you won't die if you eat this. Just have the fruit. You'll be enlightened. He is a liar and he is a murderer. He murdered because he brought sin and death into God's existence, God's perfect creation. Ezekiel 18.20 tells us very specifically, the soul that sins, it shall die. Sin brings death. Sin brings separation from God. Every single death, every single funeral you see, every single turmoil that you see between people or countries or families, every single accident you see, family strife, take it all the way back to the murderer and the liar, Satan. It originated with him. Jesus tells us very specifically about his character in John 8, 44. He's speaking to the Pharisees who are deriding Jesus, and Jesus points right at them, looks at them right between the peepers, and he says this to the Pharisees, to their face, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's the character of Satan. That's the character of the one that says, take your life and do whatever you want with it. Nothing's going to happen to you. He's a murderer and he is a liar. Don't trust him. Jesus is humanity's kinsman avenger. He died in our place so that we could have life. Colossians 2.15 says this, having disarmed principalities and powers, that's demonic strongholds, he made a public spectacle of them through the rest of the spirit realm, triumphing over them in it. The crucifixion looked like it was a disaster, but the resurrection was a triumph. The ultimate triumph we will see in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. Now, if you were in a Revelation study, you know the, the, the background to this. That Jesus comes back and he defeats the Antichrist and the false prophet in Revelation chapter 19. They're thrown into the lake of fire. They're going to be there a thousand years. Then Satan is thrown into the pit for a thousand years. The bottomless pit. The thousand year millennial reign starts. And then Satan is released for a short period of time. And he deceives the nations of the sand of the sea. And then Jesus puts down that rebellion toot sweet very quickly. And then Satan is thrown into the pit. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. They've been there for a thousand years. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, how long is forever and ever? Forever and ever, okay. <laughs> Hell is forever and ever. It's not a consuming fire. So Jesus, folks, is our nearest family member. 
In the New Testament, we don't have an, a kinsman avenger. If there's somebody killed, you have somebody in your family, go kill somebody else. No, you don't do that. It's his right to avenge. Romans 12, 17 and 19 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And then he says this qualifier. Now hear this loud and clear. If possible, if at all possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You see, you can't have peace with everyone, but you can do your part. Do not take revenge. Do not avenge or punish, dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, his orge. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Now look it. Jesus is our kinsman avenger. This is not easy to do. It is not easy to take retribution. We'll talk about that more in just a few seconds. What I want you to remember at this point is Jesus came to fulfill the law, the whole meaning of the law. He kept it perfectly, and he will apply it perfectly, and he will apply it differently than the Jewish people had it applied over all these thousands of years. Jesus' teaching is going to be different than what they, were, what they were used to. Jesus fulfilled the law. You have heard it said. That is what he says, beginning of each one of these six things that he will address that the Pharisees held in high order. But I say to you, only God, Jesus, can comment with such finality on the law given by God himself. Jesus went much deeper into the meaning of the law. Jesus did not just want people only to refrain from murdering. He wanted them to refrain from the hatred that leads to murder. He wants to deal with the heart before the action takes place. Murder is only an external manifestation of an internal problem. Inappropriate anger renders one subject to the judgment of God. Folks, I want you to hear this before we go any farther. There is justified anger in Scripture. There can be a cause of anger. I call it righteous anger. Righteous anger. It's Ephesians 4.26. Be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Now hear this loud and clear. Righteous anger hates injustice, immorality, and ungodliness. Let me ask you a question. How do you feel inside your being with our borders just being trampled down by people, with impunity, breaking the laws of the nation? How do you feel when you're watching television and you see these mass mobs going into stores and just looting and stealing? How do you feel when something inappropriate is done and there's just no law to keep things in order? There's a discomfort that we feel inside of ourselves. Lawlessness is awful. Justified anger is always disciplined and controlled. It's never out of control. It's never an outburst of uncontrollable wrath leading to murder. Jesus is saying in this text when he talks about raka, fool, guard your tongue. Do not allow your anger to crescendo into verbal onslaught. Raka, empty head, utter contempt worthless person, or fool, moros, moron, which scorns the character of a person and kills the image of God. Remember, every human is born in the image of God. That's how he created us. 
the Bible warns about something that you probably haven't heard about. But if you were with us 14 years ago, I did a talk on this. So there might be one or two. My wife is probably the only one. But anyway, it's called, <laughs> the Bible warns about something called Lashan Hara. Lashan Hara, the evil tongue. And this is, this is spoken evil or even thinking evil of another person. That is significant. Leviticus 19.16, you shall not go about as a talebearer, as a slanderer. The warning is be very careful with the evil tongue. And, <clears throat> got it. <coughs> Excuse me. We have an overhead here. Lashan Harad, just put this in your memory banks. Lashan Harad, the evil tongue, gossip. It's be careful with your tongue, and it also extends in what you're thinking about someone. Now, isn't that amazing? How do you control that? Someone help me with this, because, <laughs> because that goes beyond me. And then the next one is this. Be sure to taste your words before you spit them out. Be careful what you say before you speak. Look at once something is said, it is all, it impossible to retrieve it perfectly. So be very careful what you say before you say it. This is particularly different, difficult for a type A person that blabs. If you're a type, if you're type B, this is no problem for you. You're kind of held back. You're not saying a whole lot. But if you're a type A, man, it's this all the time. Be careful, Rick, with Lashahara. Yes, I have to take this on myself. Crescendoing verbal assaults can lead to murder, placing you in danger of hell. Gehenna is what Jesus says. You know that word Gehenna is used 12 times in Scripture. Out of the 12, Jesus uses it 11 times. Gehenna was a repulsive, burning garbage dump outside the city of Jerusalem. It was a stinking, burning garbage pit. And folks, it's the abode of the lost. This is where those who reject Jesus Christ, Jesus is giving a picture here, will dwell forever. It's a tragedy of tragedies because hell was not made for humanity, as you know. It was made for whom? The devil and his angels, not for humans. Jesus made a way so no human has to go there. Guard your tongue. James 3.6, the tongue is, tongue is a fire, a, a world of iniquity. Now, I didn't know whether to say this or not say it, because it might be Lashahara. <laughs> but we have people, well, I can say it this way. We have had people in politics that have lost their position because they could not guard their tongue. Now, you can extrapolate from that. Maybe a person you're thinking of, be careful. We, we have the picture of Gehenna, this garbage pit, this nasty refuge, refuse where people will, this is a picture of the awfulness of hell. It's garbage, burning, smelling, smoldering. I mean, I don't know what hell's going to be like. But Jesus said, whatever you do, don't go there. If you have to pluck out your eye, pluck it out. Cut off your hand, cut it off. Do whatever you do, don't go there. So that's warning enough for me. It's the worst thing that you can ever imagine. 
And he tries to give you a word picture. Now, the, the Gehenna is actually in the Valley of Hinnom. And there's going to be the next picture here. This is the picture of Jerusalem. This would be the Valley of Hinnom, or Gehenna. This would be the garbage dump at the time of Jesus. But I want you to notice there's three valleys here. This is actually the Tyropian Valley that they call the Central Valley here, the Kidron Valley, and the Hinnom Valley. And notice the shape that it takes. This is not accidental. Remember Spock, this is live long and prosper. This is the shin. This is the shin. This is God Almighty. That's what it means in Hebrew. This is what is imprinted on the mountains of Israel. You'll see on the next picture. Of all the places in the world, God has placed his name. Now, you can't see it really clear here, but it is this shape, and this is the shin. This is where God has placed his hand on the people of Israel. They are his chosen people. Jerusalem is the center city. Israel is the center of the whole actions on earth. I mean, you can have wars in Africa. You can have wars in, all over the place. But if you have someone burp in Jerusalem... It's all over the papers, okay, in Israel. That is really the center. The United States is not the center of everything. It is not. If you haven't realized that, it is not. It is, plus, it's deteriorating. So, guard your tongue. What is the word? Lasha hara. Guard the evil tongue. There's a psalm that I'm going to repeat two times in this teaching. It's Psalm 141, verses 3 and 4. I memorize this for myself. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing. Now, next question. What about when I am the cause of someone's anger? Jesus is going to address this in the next verses. Verses 23 through 26. Watch what he says. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, now in case you didn't recognize this, if you have your Bible, write in there, worship. Because he's talking about worship here. Before you start to worship your God, he's going to tell you to do something. And remember that your brother has something against you. Against you. Leave your gift there before the altar. Go your way first. Go your way first. Be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. Then you are to worship. Very important point. Your worship is blocked. Your fellowship is blocked. Agree, and he goes on to say, agree with your adversary quickly. He's talking about taking people to court here. While you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Now, Jesus is giving two illustrations here. And if he's giving two illustrations, he wants us to get the point. He wants us to get the point. To make things right. Illustration number one. Reconciliation precedes worship. Our worship is blocked. You, maybe you didn't know this. You come here and you think you're going to worship God and you just had a fight with your wife or your husband, or your kids, or somebody, in, somebody at work, and you think you're going to just worship God, there's a, there's a block there between us and God. We must make things right. I'll qualify on, more on that in just a second, what that means. 
Our worship is black and we hold anger and contempt with another person. Prior to worshiping our God in, what, what did Jesus say to we're to worship God in? Spirit and in truth. The right, his way, the right way to worship God as he is depicted in Scripture, not how we make him up in our mind, how we pretend him to be. We worship God in spirit and in truth. Now, I want you to think about something. I want you to think about the word grudge. Grudge. In Leviticus 19.18, thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, the definition of the word grudge is this. We are, we are not to bear a grudge. The word is natar in the Hebrew, and it means this. Now, how many of us have done, well, I mean, I should ask this. How many have not done this? Cherishing anger, guarding the anger, nurturing the anger. You did something to me, and buddy, I want paybacks to you. Remember like Larry, Moe, and Curly, you poked me once, what do I want to do? Poke you twice. Boom, boom, paybacks. That's the natural flesh. That's the human response. That's how our depraved nature works. Now, hear this. Grudge holders miss out on genuine worship with God. You cannot worship God in spirit and in truth if you're holding a grudge. Grudge holders, I think, have, it's sin. I think they have broken fellowship with God. You're walking in the flesh, not in the spirit. And listen to this one. Tell me if this isn't the truth. Grudge holders are unhappy, tormented people, and this is generally the face of a grudge holder. This is not happy, 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 is it? This is not the joy of the Lord is my strength. See, when you're holding a grudge and you're trying to sing that song, that doesn't quite work, does it? Grudge. Be very careful. Real forgiveness will free you from the torturers. Matthew 18.34 Romans 12.18 will give us a qualifier on how we are to deal with people that we have fallen out with. It says this, If it is possible... Now, that's a, that's a big qualifier. If it is at all possible, as much as depends on you. So what does that mean? You have your part. You are not responsible for someone else on how they receive your part. Your responsibility is to do that very uncomfortable thing of taking the step, ooh, I have to go out and make the first move in reconciliation. So, if it is all possible, as much depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Not some men, not just the ones you like and you get along with, all men. And I would say this, when we were going through the Beatitudes, this is a kingdom of God dweller attribute. This is a beatitude of someone who's dwelling in Christ making their home in Christ. This is not an attitude of a cursory Christian just hanging on. It is not my attitude if I get away from this word for any time at all. It is not my attitude if I get away from prayer at all. It is not my attitude if I withdraw from fellowship at all. I immediately, you will, you will too, you will decline. You will not stay the same. 
you will decline. So it's very important that you dwell in Christ and be a peacemaker. Do not hold people's feet to the fire. You have been given much grace and mercy, so you give grace and mercy. Doesn't mean that we are to be stepped on. Okay, we're going to talk about that more in just a second. The principle is this. In dealing with conflict, now hear this. If you don't hear anything else in this talk, zero in on this. The more, the more spiritual, spiritually mature person in the relationship will be the first to step out and reconcile. Do you know how hard it is when you've had a conflict with your wife or, or she with you for that person to take the first step? When you feel like you've been wronged and you just want to just nurture that wrong, don't you? Just want to nurture that anger. You just want to pay back that some. No, the more spiritual person is going to make the first move. And if possible, you do your part earnestly and sincerely. I'm not talking about fakey, jakey stuff here. I'm not talking about, I said I was sorry. I said it. I mean, no, that's not how you say I'm sorry. No blow-off statements. And, and hear this one, too. This, this one happens all the time with humans when we're trying to reconcile or make up or give an apology. If I have offended you, now you have just crushed somebody. It is not if I have offended you. Own your stuff. If I have hurt you in any way, if I've done any wrong to you, now come on. Those are cop-out statements. Cop-out statements. This girl here has a, has a great face for this. I'm sorry that you think you deserve an apology. <laughs> yeah, I am really sorry. that I'm apo I apologize. I mean, I didn't think you... Okay? But I think this is what we... The, the attitude we must have. And, and I think this is not easy. This is a God thing in us. Because remember, we want payback. We want to poke them twice. They poke me once. So the next picture is going to be this. A good apology has three parts. I'm sorry. Now, again, it is said, I'll look at Jan. Jan, I'm sorry. Okay? It isn't like, I'm sorry. I got this all the time. This is what you get from your teenager. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, that is not how you do it. You look at them between the eyes. I'm sorry. And you, and you have some real commitment to that emotion. I'm sorry. It's my fault. And then this one is so great. What can I do to make it right? Jan, what can I do to make it right? I want to make our relationship right. That's how you approach it. Those are ways to approach it. Now, next slide. This is from Henry Cloud. He's a pretty good guy. Sorry does not equal trust. Now, look at You could have broken trust with somebody. You could have done something to them. Your apology and your, you know, asking forgiveness and that sort of thing frees you from the torturers. See, it, the whole thing with, with asking forgiveness, it frees you from going through your whole life looking like Mr. Grudge. Remember the picture? That's your posture if you're not going to ask for forgiveness. Sorry, equal, sorry equals forgiveness. I can give forgiveness. Change behavior equals trust. So look at Forgiveness is given, but folks, trust, trust takes time. Trust takes time and has to be proven. So forgiveness is immediate. Remember, forgiveness frees you from the torturers. 
Restored trust is proven over time. When I am the problem, and at least half the time I'm the problem. Now, I've learned that it's probably a lot more than half. I'm just being generous to myself. Okay? But own it. Don't make excuses and really reconcile for real. For real. Illustration number two, he's going to talk about making things right quickly. Agree with your adversary quickly. Your opponent in a lawsuit. Now, there's some principles here that I want you to think about in restoring relationships, or in any relationships. Number one, do not allow things to fester. Little thing here, little thing here. You know, the boil's coming to a head. Little thing, little thing, little thing, little thing, little thing, little thing. And then the littlest, smallest little indiscretion, and pop goes the weasel, goes the pus all over the place. And it's it's a picture. I was going to put a boil up here, but I saved you. Don't allow things to fester because a littlest thing can make it burst forth. And then you're wondering, and then, then you're wondering, what's wrong with that person? I didn't say that much. It wasn't that big a deal. Well, you have laid things on and haven't dealt with those issues. Deal with the small things before they become big things. And this is the hardest of hard things for men in particular. Open, honest communication is essential. And, number four, do not allow your feelings, your grudge, your rights to hinder your healing. If you don't deal with it, you will not heal. Going to a judge with a brother in public is, a, is defaming the name of Christ. Just look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. talks all about that. Going to everyone else in your circle of influence and gaining support from them to defame the other person, that is defames the name of Christ. Remember, Jesus gave in his last commandment. He gave us a commandment, didn't he? In John 13, 34, and 35, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. In this way, all men will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love for one another. Love one another, not devour one another. Do not use Lashahara on a brother, a sister, a wife, a husband, a child, a friend. Guard your tongue. And I can tell you, this is hard. When everything in our being cries out for revenge, when everything in me wants to tell the world what they've done to me, this is hard. Christians are to be different. Remember, we are to have the be attitudes. The things that Jesus wants us to, the way Jesus wants us to act in this evil world is very, very different. It's the antithesis of this world. Agree with your adversary quickly. As much as is within you or depends on you, settle it quickly. Do not allow the issues to become a world scandal. Clearly, God is telling us, make amends as soon as you can. Don't let things build up. Now, often we will cover our wrong decisions with, I prayed about this. I prayed about this. God is telling us clearly, make amends quickly. And I'm going to say something here that you might not agree with. Eat crow if you must, 
swallow your pride, get over the I'm right, they deserve it feelings. Get over that. You do not have to pray about something that God has already told you to do. You don't have to do that. Do not give the enemy cause to defame the name of God. 2 Samuel 12, 14, David with Bathsheba. And he's confronted by Nathan the prophet. And Nathan's concerned about the name of God in that nation. However, because this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Now, you remember what blaspheme is. Blas, evil. Theme, speak. Speak evil. Speak evil. God's name is more important than my rights. Remember this. God, very clear. Scripture is clear. Romans 12, 19. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And again, Jesus is teaching us kingdom of God, of heaven principles, living in an evil world. Reconciliation precedes worship. Make things right quickly. And I want to say this again to emphasize how difficult this is. Reconciliation is not natural. It's supernatural. That's why you have to have God in you to do it. Everything in our being will fight against this. Now, what will we do as humans? Rationalize. Make excuses. Rationalization, making excuses, is our flesh go-to place. That is where our flesh will go to in a second. Act against your flesh, and I love this. Act against your flesh. Glorify God. Do what is right. And when you do that, you will poke Satan in the eye. And it hurts to get poked in the eye. You know how I know? At age five, my, I was wrestling with my son, Scott. And his little, little knuckles were like about this big, as big as this one knuckle. And he took his fist and he went, boom, and he hit me right in the eye. I was incapacitated. Incapacitated by a five-year-old. And I'm on the floor. I'm going, Scott, stop. <laughs> yes. Poke Satan in the eye. It hurts. It will hurt him. It will hurt him. Closing thoughts. It's all about your heart. Jesus dealt with the heart that precedes the action. He's very concerned about the condition of our hearts. Lasha hara, the evil tongue, is an expression of our evil hearts. When we say something, just remember, it's your evil heart that is responding. God tells us straight up what our hearts are like. He doesn't equivocate in Scripture. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 says this, You know the verse. You probably memorize it for yourself. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I am the Lord. Search the heart. Examine the mind. Reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserved. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. And in Luke 6.45, he says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our tongues are a tip-off to our inner man condition. And I'll tell you, that is sobering. There's more than one way to murder. We can express anger with our brother with our tongues. We can call people names. Now look at this is this is a big thing. I was raised in a family that you immediately went to name calling right off the bat. Now that sticks with you. 
That sticks with you. And it's very easy for me to revert into being very critical. Uh, I forget the word. Cynical. There's another word. that, that but anyway, it's, it's easy to revert to that in my being. So this is a constant fight with me inside myself. I'm just being honest with you. It's very easy for that to happen. Uh, it's easy to call names. We can kill someone with our names. We can kill them. My heart is depraved. My tongue expresses the condition of my heart. What, is, what am I to do? What am I to do? Now, this is important. We cannot stop murdering with our tongues or actions without a heart transplant. We must have a heart transplant. That transplant begins with being born again. But it doesn't end there. Okay? It's a continual life process of work. It's all about relationship with our Lord. Jesus, folks, is still the answer. Might sound simplistic and trite, but he is the answer. Jesus changes hearts. Jesus changes character. Jesus changes destinies. It's all about a relationship with him. Now, when we dwell in him, I can be a Christian and still have the same tongue that I had before. Or I can choose to dwell in Christ, make my home in Christ, walk in the Spirit, spending time in His Word, spending time in prayer, and then there's a chance that I can change. But if I don't do that, I will always revert to my previous level of development. That's what happens with a kid when they get sick. They revert to their previous level of development. That's what happens to me when I get away from God's Word. I get sick. I revert to my previous level of development. The world, the flesh, and the devil, the triunity of evil that you deal with every day wants to steal your soul, steal your heart, keep you immersed in depravity. Jesus, folks, will give you a heart transplant, a new heart and a new spirit. Hear the word of the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36, 26. Now, he's speaking to the nation of Israel when they are in mass, born again, going into the millennial reign. And he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, says God. And I'll take the heart of stone out of your flesh, that stony, stubborn heart out of your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh, soft, malleable. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. I think that's what happens when you're born again of the spirit. God gives you a new heart, takes your stone heart and starts to make it soft and pliable. But it's a process. It's a process. It's all about transformation. The transformed you is a process. Being born again, you're born again as a baby. You're not born again as some big super duper ho ho hooper, <laughs> duper, whatever. <laughs> Christian, you're, you're, you're a little baby. You're born again. You're just starting this thing. Just out of the flesh. You go back to the flesh instantly as a new Christian. But Romans 12, 2 says this. Watch this. Do not, well, do not be conformed to this world. That word conformed, as you know, I've said it several times, means do not allow the world, the world system, the world's values, the world's ways, squeeze you into its mold. See, the world wants to squeeze you, wants to mold you to be just like the world. Do not allow that. How do we not allow that? But, 
This is, the, this is your, your rescue. Be transformed. And by the way, this is, this, this is a sanctification verse. This is not a salvation verse. This is a growing in Christ verse. Becoming more like the master verse. By being transformed, metamorpho, changed from the inside out. Satan is transformed and he looks like an angel of light. That is metaschismatico. Changed on the outside, not on the inside. Oh, but we're changed on the inside. Metamorphosis. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's where the battlefield is. That you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now the next picture is your transformation. And you've seen this before the butterfly. We're going to, somewhere on this level, we're being born again. Let's say it's down here. But I'm transforming. I'm giving myself to Christ. I'm becoming more and more conformed to the likeness of Christ. And I come out, hopefully, as a butterfly. The tragedy is, is that I can be transformed. I get away from God. And what happens? I will regress. And if I stay away, I will regress. And I will regress. And before you know it, I'm just looking like the world. I could still be born again. But I'm looking more like the world than the transformed, conformed to the likeness of Christ person. You must continue this journey. It is not a one and done. It is not a, I said the words, I'm done. It is not the Christian life. It is what's lived out. Lived out. And finally, the world wants you in their camp. The world wants you to act and think and speak just like them. They want your tongue to reflect them. How many Christians today that you know, and I, this is happening more and more as I've gotten older, that their tongue is mimicking the world as far as swearing goes? There's this the, kind of this acceptable, I can just say these, these, these words here, which looks just like the world. This has become very common, very common today. Oh no, we are to look different than the world. The indoctrination in our, in, our, in our world is full speed ahead. And every tactic is being used to steal your mind. It's moment by moment we're being onslaughted to steal our minds. Daniel had the solution for this. Daniel taken into captivity with his buddies Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and a whole bunch of other people. But these guys stood out and they did something different. And Daniel says this. Determine, Daniel, determine in, in your heart to serve God. You must be like Daniel, determine in your heart to serve God. Daniel 1.8, Daniel purposed in his heart. That's what we have to do today, folks. Purpose in your heart. Who are you going to serve? Who's going to be your master? Who's going to control your thoughts? Purpose in your heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies. Daniel says, I will not be indoctrinated by Babylon. You must say with all of your being, I will not be indoctrinated by Babylon. I don't care why the world lives. Jesus has told me how to live. I am under his authority. He is the one that I obey. I belong to him. I belong to Yahweh. I will not be indoctrinated by the culture's gods or the culture's mores, values. No, you shall not murder as way more than physical murder. Again, we can murder dreams, futures, destinies, 
with our evil tongue. So what are we to do? Psalm 141.3 again, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth and watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing. Proverbs 4.23 again to repeat, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. The battle is for the mind, the heart, your soul, thoughts, feelings, emotions. Waldo Emerson put it this way. Sow a thought. Now remember, this is the battleground, your mind. This is where it all takes place. Reap an action. Thinking always precedes action. Control what comes into your mind. Take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Sow an action and reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Let me ask you a question. How much emphasis is there today on character? How much emphasis is there on that? It's usually clawing your way to the top. Anything that you can do to manipulate your way to the top. Private thoughts can lead to actions. Proverbs 23, 7. So as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Above all else, folks, guard your heart. We have a picture here. Above all else, what are we to do? Guard what you see. Guard Lashahara, your tongue. What you do, whatever you hear, everything you do flows from your heart. Above all else, guard your heart. Finally, the last slide. Guard your heart. It truly is all about your heart. Your heart must be transformed, and you cannot have a transformed heart by just wishing and hoping and thinking. Okay? It has to be action. Time in the Word, time in prayer, time with God's people. It's a discipline. It is not easy, but it is a requisite to have a changed heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to study your Word. Thank you that you've really taught us, Lord. I mean, there's a lot here for each one of us. It was just going through this teaching, and it feels like a knife right in my heart. So, Lord, help me to guard my tongue, guard the things that I say, but even more so what I think about someone else. Lord, I want to be pleasing to you. And Lord, I know that you have us all in the process of being transformed into the likeness of Jesus, conformed to the likeness of Christ. May we cooperate with that process. May we not make excuses for what we're doing and how we're behaving and how we're living our life out and that sort of thing. But help us to say, no, this is, I have to do what's right before my God. And in doing so, I am declaring loyalty to Yahweh, and I am being disloyal to the gods of the culture. That's where I want to be. Disloyal to them, loyal to Yahweh. Speak to us today, Holy Spirit, areas that we need to address in our lives. We all have them, God. We're just chuck full of this stuff. Help us, please, to be more like Jesus and less like us. In Jesus' name, amen.